2: This is Mayor Sheldon Neely, and you're listening to The Tom Sumner Show. Hey,
4: welcome back, everybody. We roll into the third half of our three-hour tour known as The Tom Sumner Program with a conversation with the author of a new book um, that's now available in uh, paperback. It's called No Bad Deed. It's a thriller about a desperate mother, desperate to uh, find the connections between her missing husband and a deadly stalker who knows too much about her family. Uh, Anyway, the um, author I'm talking about is Heather Chavez, and she joins me uh, by phone from Santa Rosa, California. Heather, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much for having me.
4: Um, Heather, the the book is uh, your debut novel, but it's uh, by no means your first foray into writing.
1: No, um, <laughs> I, I was a journalist, and I also wrote several practice books, so I've been writing pretty much my whole life.
4: Um, and you're a graduate of uh, UC Berkeley's English Literature Program. I mentioned uh, that you live in Santa Rosa, which I assume is where you are now, because everybody's at home.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, in, I work in healthcare, so I actually haven't been. Oh, really? Um, yeah, but, but right now I am at home. I'm, I'm off today, so.
4: Well, then we picked the right day to have a conversation about your book. (laughs) The book is based on something that actually happened to you in real life. It's not based on it, but it was certainly inspired by an event that, that happened to you. What happened and, and how did that uh, turn into, wow, this would make a great book? (laughs)
1: Um, so I was picking my daughter up from, from school, um, and she and I were driving away from the campus and we saw this young boy, probably around 14 years old, um, and suddenly these two other boys about the same age just attacked him. Um, and of course, all these thoughts are going through my head as I'm in my car with my daughter. Do I stop the car? Do I call 911? Do I get out? What do I do? But the attack ended as abruptly as it had started. So. I, I didn't have time to react, but the, the incident and seeing it and having my daughter in the car started all the, you know, questions about first, what should I have done? Um, should I have called 911? Would I behave differently if my daughter hadn't been in the car with me? Um, and, and then, of course, then it turned to the darker, thriller author side of me, which was what happened prior to that attack that set that attack off? Um, and that ultimately became the plot of the book.
4: Why do so many journalists end up writing thrillers that are kind of dark?
1: <laughs> uh I think we see a lot of of darkness <laughs> in the world. Um and we're natural at least you know the people that I worked um with were were naturally inquisitive. So we like to like peel those layers back and and kind of get to the heart of, you know, why something happened um and so it's just our nature i guess and so you know i definitely use that in in my own fiction writing as well
4: tell me about the um uh, about the practice books
1: ah uh, the practice books um i kind of always knew that i wanted to be a writer um but um i started writing novels in my uh, probably early 20s um, and I'm the first one to say they are practice books for a reason. They are trunked no one will ever see them. Um, but.
4: That sounds uh, like the editor in you.
1: <laughs> it is. And I, you know, honestly, it's funny you should say that because that's exactly what I think was the difference between books one through three and a half. And then this, which was my fourth, I mean, my four and a half, I guess you would say, but my first, you know, success, um, and the first one that I tried to get published was the fact that between book three and a half and four, I was actually an editor. And so the first books were were not really edited. They were just like, hey, let's start writing this. And then oh, it's done. Let's just check for grammar. Um, But structurally, they remained intact. And I think that's you know, for me, the books come alive during revision, and those books never got revision. So, um, becoming an editor definitely helped me with that process.
4: And how long has has this book, uh, No Bad Deed, been out? Because I see it's in paperback now, which usually happens a little later in a in a book's life.
1: Yeah, it's it's been out a year. The hardback came out February of uh, 2020.
4: So you probably didn't really get a chance to get out and promote it very much with the pandemic kicking in right about that time.
1: No, I was fortunate in that I was able to have um, a local bookstore event that, you know, happened right before basically my county and then the state and the country shut down. Um, so, yeah, it was it was I got that first taste of it and then after that all the events started falling like dominoes um and back then of course you know it was so new people you know were wondering how long is this going to be um i don't think the the online um event um apparatus if you will was as robust as it is now so everything just kind of got canceled and just people were trying to figure things out including me you know trying to figure out what does this mean for me what and it's also you know in a pandemic you you especially like i mentioned i work on the periphery of healthcare so um you know you see things and this is terrible things happening you're like do i say buy my book in the midst of all this it's you know that's a challenge as well so there were multiple challenges trying to get the word out and trying to figure out you know what was appropriate and Um, respectful, and also, I I mean, I was also very confused as a new author without having experienced marketing and publicity and all that. So, um, yeah, it was definitely challenging.
4: Yeah, this is a a tough year. Um, I've talked to some writers who've, um, you know, been able to be, like, very productive because they, you know, they were sheltering at home. They worked at home to begin with, so Mm -hmm. they just took the, the extra time that they had and and did a lot of writing and then some that just were as shell shocked as the rest of us you know where it just (laughs) it just kind of like oh well i'll binge watch netflix till this is over and all of a sudden nine ten months later it's still not over um the notion of being stalked by someone as the result of Attempting to do a good deed. How did that turn into a title? No bad deed.
1: Well, I really liked the idea of it starts with Cassie, the protagonist, doing what she um, sees as a as a good deed, even though you know it's putting herself and ultimately her family in danger. Um, but as the book progresses, you kind that that line becomes a little bit murkier as far as, you know, what does one person see as a good deed and someone else might not view it in the same way. So there's that question, and and even what is is a good deed that, you know, someone might, I don't want to give too much away, but anyway, you'll see if you read the (laughs) book. But it's very murky, let's put it that way. There's a lot of duality about like who is good? Who is bad? And what what can cause a good person to do a bad thing, and vice versa? And where is that line? And what would you do? What would it take for you to cross it?
4: <laughs> An alternate title: When Good <laughs> Deeds Go Bad. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it it actually is a uh, is a great title because it's. Um, it's it's compelling because the first thing you think I mean you start out, you read the title, and immediately there's a question what does that mean
1: yeah i i it had a several working titles before I settled on no bad deed but once it it's as with anything when I'm writing a book um it's when i Hit the right title. I was like, "Oh, that's it!" Um, and I was crossing my fingers the whole publication journey, thinking, "Please stick, please stick." Unfortunately, um, it did um, because sometimes titles do change. But I was I was very happy that that it didn't. Are you still there? Yes, can you oh, hear
4: me? Yeah, it just it got so quiet, I thought maybe we got disconnected. Oh, um,
1: yeah.
4: The, uh, the thing uh, w- that I was thinking as, as you were saying that was, um, or b- when we were talking earlier, is, you know, writing is pretty solitary. Um, mm-hmm. Do you enjoy the, the interaction with people? I, I know you haven't had a chance to do a lot of it this year. Um, but like the the um, book signing that you did uh, in Santa Rosa when when the book first came out, and do do you enjoy that part of it?
1: I I do. It's it's I'm an introvert by nature. I'm what I call a forced extrovert because i <laughs> you know I worked in journalism and and now I work in public affairs, and and I I have a lot of you know. Times when I do have to be out there um, professionally before before this you know pandemic, um, and so you know it, there's that forced extrovert in me that that can can make myself um, be out there, but I will also say that dealing with you know the public is is on, as a whole is is so much different than meeting readers that little glimpse i got of it and also i've had some i've met with some online book clubs and reading groups um and writers clubs and that has been that's a totally different experience because everyone is so passionate and engaged about books and i could talk about books <laughs> um not just my own just books um for You know, hours. So um, that part of it is is easy. But um, I do also really like being shut in my office with the door closed in front of the computer. Not going to lie, that's
4: still my happy place. Well, it was funny. I was was thinking about a a reporter friend of mine from years ago at the the Flint Journal. Um, He had, uh, when you said you weren't reporting anymore that you had taken a job uh, in public affairs and I tried to call this guy one day and one of his uh, fellow reporters uh, was answering his phone because he had recently left and accepted a job with uh, in Lansing with a government agency or something basically in uh, communications and public affairs (laughs) and the guy that I got on the phone said uh, no he's he's not here anymore he got a real job (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah. I've heard it also referred to as going to the dark side.
4: <laughs> well, yeah, there's there is that side of it. Um yeah. but I just thought it was kind of funny that this uh you know, this this cynical reporter, you know, <laughs> just didn't think of his work as valid or something and um said, No, he got a real job. Uh anyway, I thought you I thought you would appreciate that. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I want to talk a little bit about the uh, about the creative process and about how much research goes into uh, a book like this, but we have about a minute left before we go to break. Can you uh, stick around for a few minutes so we can dig down some more?
1: Oh, yes, I'd love to.
4: Great. My uh, guest is Heather Chavez. She is the author of a thriller called No Bad Deed. If you're listening to us on WFOV 92.1 FM, our Voices radio in Flint. They are a broadcast service of the Flint Odyssey House Spectacle Productions and my good friend Paul Herring. We're going to let them squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're uh, streaming us at com, we have some messages as well, and we'll return and talk some more about uh, this, this book, uh, No Bad Deed, which is now available in paperback. It's a thriller about a mother desperate to find the connections between her missing husband and a deadly stalker who knows too much about her family. So, don't touch that dial, don't click that mouse. We'll be back with uh, author Heather Chavez right after this.
1: All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. I'm United
4: States Surgeon General Jerome Adams, America's doctor. And all across our nation, we've taken steps together to slow the spread of coronavirus. Now we must continue to take personal responsibility to protect ourselves and our loved ones. And when we can't stay six feet from others, please, I'm begging you, wear a face covering. These small actions will make a big difference. So I'm asking you to say it with me, America. Coronavirus stops with me. You can learn more at coronavirus.gov. Support the Tom Sumner Program and Civilized Talk Radio. Visit our website at TomSumnerProgram.com and become a member. You can make a one time gift or become a sustaining patron by taking the link to the Tom Sumner Program Patreon page. Thanks for listening and thanks for your support.
3: Thank you and thank you all for tuning in. You know, we know that tough times don't last, but tough people do. We've been through a lot here in Michigan. We've been through crisis before, where the country needed their countrymen and countrywomen to pitch in collectively to get through a crisis and rise to the occasion. Michigan once was the arsenal of democracy to win World War II. We need that same spirit now. We're working around the clock with doctors and hospitals and first responders to stop the spread and to save lives but we need your help too. The state has launched a new volunteer website at www.michigan.gov forward slash fight COVID-19, where trained medical professionals can register to serve their fellow Michiganders by assisting hospitals in fighting COVID-19. State residents can also use the site to find out how they can help in their local communities by giving blood or donating resources or needed medical supplies. Whether you're a medical professional looking to volunteer or you're someone who can give blood or donate to your local food bank, everyone can help out. To get through this, we must all do our part. Stay home, stay safe, and save lives.
5: The time Summer
3: Program.com Hello, this
4: is State Senator Jim Ananick, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody. We continue our conversation with author Heather Chavez, her book, No Bad Deed. Um, basically, uh, well, we'll talk about that. But, uh, Heather, welcome back. Thanks for sticking around. Sorry to make you sit through that.
1: Oh, thank you. Um,
4: Heather, I wanted to... Uh, See if we couldn't get into the synopsis a little bit without doing any spoiler alerts. (laughs) Basically, it's the story of a woman who intervenes in some kind of a domestic dispute that she sees while driving home from somewhere. And um, in the process of doing what she thinks is a a good deed, she makes a, a pretty scary enemy and yes. and then um her husband disappears very mysteriously coincidentally on halloween um, and and then the the story starts to to pick up and take off
1: yes um at first she thinks um you know sam her husband is um the person who's always coordinating the kid's schedule. He's the one who usually makes dinner. And so he's a very, very involved dad. And so um, at first she immediately goes to that dark place in her head that says something has happened to him because she finds her daughter, her six-year-old daughter alone with, you know, these two random parents and her husband's nowhere around and, and nobody seems to be able to say where he went. Um, and so, you know, her first thing is she, he would not leave their daughter in, um, such a situation. And so that's her, you know, he's in a ditch somewhere or, you know, something happened. And then shortly after she gets that text from him and, you know, just those two words, I'm sorry. And suddenly she has to rethink everything. Um, so that's kind of how, how, how the book starts.
4: And I, I mentioned uh, at the end of the last segment that I, I wanted to get into the creative process a little bit, and, and we will talk about that. Um, and to open that up, I'm, I'm sort of curious what made you think to or, or make the decision to have the husband disappear and not the daughter.
1: Well, I, as a, I, I will say, as, as a mom, there's a line of jeopardy that's harder for me to cross.
4: <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, that's what I'm wondering, you know, is, is, it, is, it that, is it that simple or is there some, you know, plot development uh, that we can't divulge that, that makes a, a reason for it to be the husband and not the daughter? I would think it'd be much more terrifying for a mom to have the daughter I, disappear.
1: Yes. Um, with, with the book, I kind of wanted her sense of unease to grow as the book progresses, um, you know, and have her doubt what happened. And I think as much as we love our, our six-year-old is children, they don't really have a big external life that we... They, they're probably not harboring deep secrets. <laughs> well, and, so, and
4: the other thing, too, is <laughs> is right away, it's maximum terror.
1: Mm-hmm. And the children, the children... I mean, she is trying to protect her family. Um, you know, no one in the book is safe. Um, it is a thriller. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, but I also, you know, it's... It, I think it goes a little bit back why why I chose the husband is it also goes a little bit back to all those stories, you know, that I've read and that I've taken part in when I was, you know, um, a reporter and then an editor that you're always hearing about these people who do terrible things um, to people they profess to care about or, you know, and so that kind of underneath it all um, dynamic is, is kind of what compelled me to write the story and so I think the husband seemed a a natural jumping off point for that
4: now you said in the last segment and and it was sort of parenthetical that that you can really get going talking about books and that made me wonder who some of the writers that inspire you are
1: well um I I I have said this before but my first inspiration was Dean Cook That's that's his Whispers was the book that got me realizing, yeah, that's what I want to do. <laughs> um, that's still what I want to do. Um, I want to be Dean Cook, um, even though he writes, you know, kind of different genre. But he he just writes these dark, twisty things that are also very just readable and, and just brilliant. Um, Lisa Gardner is another one. Um, J.P. Delaney, Harlan Coven, Linwood Barclay. I, I love the... The, you know, ordinary person who is thrust into these dangerous situations and then watching them squirm their way their way <laughs> free. Um, so yeah, so those are those are some of them. I mean, I Alison Galen. You know, it, it's it's funny because the the people on the the jacket of my book and the the blurbs are are actually the people that I are my pre-orders. <laughs> you know, the people that I I actually have on my bookshelf in the prime shelf space. Um, And so it's just so surreal to even be like, I think um, like for instance, on um, at my local bookstore, my books are between Chandler and child, <laughs> it's like, <laughs> whoa, <that's> crazy. <laughs> but yeah, so um, those are just i i could I could literally spend an hour listing all the authors I love. Because which I child? Love reading. Lee Child.
4: Okay, all right. I thought you said child, and oh. and and I and I thought you were talking about this real diverse collection from Chandler to Julia child. (laughs) Oh, and and that's, that's why I had to ask because I thought that's kind of eclectic. Um,
1: (laughs) Yeah. Somebody missed that book.
4: (laughs) Yeah. yeah, What's this French cooking doing in the middle of all this, uh, (laughs) blood and guts and horror and stuff. Um, you know it, it it sounds you chalked it up to having been a reporter and and sort of seeing society from the dark side but it it sounds to me like maybe there was a dark side uh, already there have you always uh, liked mystery and thriller type stories movies etc
1: um, I have i I used to I mean I still read outside the genre, of course I, I I like to see what's out there in in all genres, especially now as a debut and you get access to all these phenomenal authors and it's like, wow, these books are fantastic, like historical fiction before this year i I don't think I think it's been years since I think the last book. I read that had any kind of history, and it was probably James Mishner in Hawaii when I was a kid. I mean, but it's, you know, so I've always read other genres too, but um, when I was 11 and discovered Koontz, I just went to the dark side. Um, But yeah, so I dabbled with like novellas and short stories when I was, you know, probably early teens, mid-teens. Um, and some pretty dark poetry. I think we all go through the dark poetry phase, <laughs> um, or is that just me? Maybe. <laughs> no, I
4: I think that's probably happened with a lot of people. Um, and and a, a lot of times, those uh, those dark thoughts and impulses are the things that we probably have the most difficult time expressing. Yes, and
1: it's also, I think, one of the you know, those are the things we have um, the most challenge controlling. And we don't often have control. And I think that's another reason why I, as as a writer, write is because it's nice to control that side of life. And it's nice to work through the darkness, but also to feel the sense of, of power over it because we don't get that in real life.
4: You said earlier that um, that a, a lot of the best part of of developing a book happens in the revisions, and that sort of hinted at at, at maybe the books when you're telling a story does it sort of tell itself when you write does, does it just sort of roll out or or do you work from a, a somewhat strict outline?
1: It's evolved for me over the years. When I started in my twenties, I just came up with what I believed was a brilliant idea. It was not, um, and then just barreled forward and and just wrote. Um, and then um, I had a book, which was noble, <laughs> but it wasn't it wasn't um, very good. Um, and I realized that some people really find the freedom in writing by just going full out. You know, just starting on page one with an idea, maybe a couple signposts along the way. Um, I, however, love the structure. I, I do have an outline. What I find in revision is is uh, even though I have an outline um, and I'm growing a little bit less flexible with it, especially now, you know, I just wrote book two on deadlines. So in that instance, you know, I, I have it's – it's gone from something I – You know, did when I had time to something I have to make time for. So it's it's the outline has gotten more um, structured. That being said, no matter how structured my outline is, I always discover things, usually about characters, um, that change the course of the book. Um, For No Bad Deed, for instance, it was you know I had it set; it was going to be third person, three points of view. And that's how I wrote it. And then I read it and decided, nope, this isn't working. You know, these other two characters are telling Cassie's story. They get all the good parts. So, um, (laughs) yeah, so I ended up throwing out two-thirds of the book and starting again. So sometimes it can be big revisions like that. Um, But it's it's about the, the first draft is generally about discovering the characters more. Um, and so sometimes it requires revision because they behave in ways that that don't always uh, go with the outline.
4: Yeah, I'm wondering, do you come up with the story and then cast characters into it, or do you come up with characters and, and then sort of explore what kinds of things might happen to them?
1: It really, it actually really depends. With um, No Bad Deed, it was, this, the idea came. The character generally follows fairly quickly because immediately upon getting the idea, it's like, whose story is this to tell? Who who would tell this story? And for me, it was a mom with kids, you know, pictured the minivan. I I, I fully admit I had a minivan at the time. Don't know where that idea came from, <laughs> but um so it came it came on the heels of the idea, you know the character um with my book that I'm writing now my second book that it's it's kind of in reverse in that I came up with the core relationship, which is between two sisters who um have, have some issues, and so the core relationship was the first you know, step in that book. Um, and then it became what is their story to tell? So it's kind of like a little bit different, but usually it is the idea that comes first. Um, so it really depends on the book, but they're they're pretty, pretty close together. They're generally, I, you know, whose story it is to tell comes right when with the story idea.
4: You know, it was interesting. You said something that that made me wonder is this a standalone book or um do you think there will be a sequel or perhaps a a trilogy or series
1: it is definitely um a standalone at this point um i have Thought, just because, like I mentioned, I love Lisa Gardner, and she has those recurring char- cast of characters, you know, um, in her books, and so I, I do sometimes think, well, what, you know, somebody needs to see a veterinarian, or somebody will need to have a detective <laughs> again, um, and they are in this, the second book is set in the same universe as the first one as far as it's set in Sonoma County, so... Um, you know, it's very, it's in LA Marin you know, San Francisco, those at the Northern California area. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's in the same universe, so they could cross paths. I don't plan on it, but that doesn't mean it can't happen.
4: I, I just wonder sometimes when I when I talk to writers who are, you know, two or three books deep in a series, if it started out to be a series or they got to the end of the book and went, but wait, there's more. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah, you know, I, I don't know. As, as someone who's never, who's always written standalones, I I can't even imagine a, a, the plotting that must go in to maintaining, you know, a through story and arcs throughout multiple books.
4: I, I talked to one writer. This was kind of funny. The, the book that he'd written, um, the publisher loved it but said it was too long and he ended up turning it into three books. By just cutting it into sections. I thought that was kind of funny because usually it's a continuation, (laughs) but the whole story had already been told.
1: Yeah, that um, would. Mine definitely would be three short novellas if I tried to do that. Um, But, you know, I've. You know, the best writers, you know, they can. They probably have you know, sections that could easily be a book by itself because they keep, you know, like Greg Iles' his, his books, for instance, they're, they're pretty dense. They're big books, but every page, it's a page turner, even though it's huge, you know, so compared to mine at least. Um, and so, yeah, they, if if you're really good at that, I, I can imagine you could do that because the pacing and tension are kept, you know, consistent throughout I couldn't, but...
4: <laughs> having, having been a reporter very often um, when you're reporting on things and, and you're telling stories, but in a very different way and often a very abbreviated kind of way, is it freeing or is it more challenging to have the freedom to go into more detail and, and do more context?
1: it's definitely easier to um write just just the facts and you know here's what happened here's what happened here's why and just have the facts presented to you because then you don't have to make any of them up um so it's easier but it's also i think more more free to write fiction because if something doesn't go the way you want it to go, you can fix that. Um, which you know, obviously, you can't make stuff up when you're a journalist. Um, and so, it, <laughs> well, unless you work
4: for a cable news network,
1: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, for for fiction, it's just you know, you have infinite possibilities. And when you're starting that first page, especially, you have, like, infinite possibilities. You can create anything you want. And it's both freeing but also very overwhelming. It can be overwhelming. Um, so it's it's definitely, I think, more challenging for me as a person to write, you know, a novel than it is to be a, a journalist as far as, you know, the thought processes. The The challenge of journalism, of course, is the deadlines are much tighter. So wow. um you know you don't have as you you have to file that story and get it in. Um, but how do you
4: How do you manage to hold down a job and find time to write? Are you pretty disciplined about writing?
1: i i'm I'm very disciplined about writing, but does that mean I'm always disciplined about writing? No. Um, you know, like I said, it's something I have to make time for as opposed to finding you know just when it happens, it happens. Um, I for the first time in my life I, I did um go part time. I've worked full time since I was pretty much summers when I was fifteen on, you know, and I've I've always worked full time. And so um about a year ago I went part time, so I only worked four days. And so Fridays are my day to just okay, this is my day. I this is my another work day. Um, And so Friday, Saturday, Sunday are pretty much my writing days and then Monday through Thursday are my day job days. Um, It doesn't allow a lot of Heather days, (laughs) um, but it's it's working right now. Um, I'm not one of those people, I've tried it, I really have, who can get up at like 5 a.m. and write. Um, I've done it. I've forced myself to do it on occasion. Um, but I'm more likely to, you know, ride in my car on my lunch break or, you know, stay up till midnight trying to finish a scene than I am to wake up at, you know, 5.
4: Mary Higgins Clark told me that she, uh, when when she first started writing, that she was a working single mom, and she would get up at, you know, four or five o'clock in the morning, and write sections until her day took off. And I, I, I just always kind of admired that she, you know, stuck to it, and eventually she did, you know, was able to write full time. But, um, yeah, I, I, I often wonder how writers manage to to get anything done and anything cohesive and completed while trying to raise a family and you know have a job and and do all of those other things that life has us do
1: yeah it was definitely more of a a challenge riding when when the kids are were younger right now they're 19 and and 23 so they require you know they're they're at college (laughs) um but You know, it's definitely a different when you, I mean, they didn't respect a bathroom door. How are they going to respect like an office door? (laughs) You know? Right. (laughs) You know? So I think there's something to be said about finding that quiet time, whether you're a night person or a morning person, when the rest of the world in the house is asleep. And I did have to do that a lot more when, you know, um, when the kids were smaller, though I did the opposite in that I stayed up. Till twelve, one, two o'clock in the morning. Um, found the quiet time at the end of the day because it just, uh, you know, alarm clocks and me are just not friends. So, um, <laughs> yeah, it's it's, and also I worked swing shifts for a long time, so um, for for decades. So, so that was also. I'm I'm just, you know, I, I'm trying to train myself to be more of a morning person. Um, it hasn't taken yet, but I'm working on it. <laughs>
4: Yeah, I I was talking to somebody uh, earlier who said something about um, getting up in the morning and exercising, and I thought, I I have never, ever woken up and thought, geez, I think I should exercise.
1: (laughs) Well, waking up already, I mean, it's like, especially now it's winter, it's cold, the bed (laughs) is so comfortable. So getting up already is just like, why it's not fun, uh, and then on top of it, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to get up and I'm going to exercise. And I'm like, why? Yeah, but I've been trying. To, I've tried to do that too. I have. I made it to, to the coffee too.
4: pot. What do you want from me?
1: <laughs> <laughs> you need the reward at the end. You know. Yeah. If I can get up and get that coffee, um, and that's the thing. You know, I don't drink coffee except for when I want one of those coffees that really isn't coffee at all, but has all the stuff in it. A um, oh, recreational yeah. coffee. Re- recre- I'm a recreational <laughs> coffee user, yeah. And so I totally think maybe if I started being, you know, going to the coffee pot every day, that maybe I could be a morning person, but maybe. Maybe I'll try that.
4: <laughs> well, Heather, I, I've, I'm enjoying talking with you, and I have another break coming up. Can you stick around for a few minutes, and we'll finish oh, up in the course. next segment? My guest is Heather Chavez. She is the author of a, uh, a new thriller called No Bad Deed. It's uh, now available in paperback and wherever all fine books are sold, I'm sure. Uh, but we're going to talk some more about uh, No Bad Deed and what's next for Heather Chavez when we return. Um, if you're... Listening to us on 92.1 FM, we're going to let them squeeze in a few words or do whatever they do when we go to break, and then we'll be right back.
2: Hey, (laughs) this is The Unknown Comic, and guess what? You're listening to The Tom Sumner Show right now,
4: and now, and now too, and even now. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. and avoid contact with others. For more information,
5: visit cdc.gov.
4: The Tom Sumner Program has hosted live candidate forums for local, state, and national offices at bars, restaurants, coffee shops, and colleges. Armchair Politics has gone to Lansing, Frankenmuth, Birch Run, and Hell. Be sure dishes are washed in hot water or the dishwasher before anyone else uses them. Stay aware of how you feel. If you start to have difficulty breathing or if you're worried about your health, call your doctor. For more tips, visit cdc.gov.
3: I get the uneasy feeling Rod Serling is behind one of those doors. Rod Serling.
2: Rod Serling. What's this, the Twilight Zone? Where is everybody? I would
1: have been headed for the Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone. If I go any lower, I'll be in the Twilight Zone. All right.
2: Oh, but Jethro's right at home in the twilight zone. <laughs> I'm in the twilight
0: zone. Now, having made
3: this little jaunt into the
2: twilight zone...
0: I got a feeling something strange is about
2: to
3: happen. In the twilight zone. Hi, this is Ann Serling, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program.
4: Hey, welcome back, everybody. We uh, continue my conversation with author Heather Chavez about her book, No Bad Deed, Um which is uh, now available in paperback. It's a thriller about a, desperate, uh, about a mother who's desperate to find the connections between her missing husband and a deadly stalker who knows too much about her and her family. Uh, Heather, welcome back. Thanks for sticking around.
1: Yeah. Thanks again for having me. It's I can't.
4: Fun. I can't believe how fast the time has uh, has flown by. You mentioned earlier that that uh, you were working or had just completed uh, an, another manuscript, and and uh, I'm always curious. What's what's next now that uh, No Bad Deed has been out for a while?
1: Um, I'm writing a a, a book, or uh, I've written a book. It's with my editor now um, about. Um, uh, two sisters frankie and dizzy and like i had mentioned previously they have somewhat of a tumultuous history um and they also have a, a secret that they've been keeping from the past um you know years five years before six teenagers went up to play um, this drinking game that went horribly wrong and only five of them returned um and izzy was there that night and she's always kind of kept what happened there a secret from her much older sister um and so it's and then another teen girl goes missing when the book opens so um that's a, that's what it's about um it could change dramatically uh, like no bad deed you know went from third person three points of view so, you know, we're just entering the revision editing process, but it is another standalone thriller um, set in, in, you know, Sonoma County wine country um, featuring these two sisters and their, their conflict with, with each other and, and also um, with their, you know, secret keeping.
4: Is it, is it um, tougher or easier to work with an editor having been an editor yourself?
1: It is, it is, I think, easier because as an editor, the one thing that you realize when you're a journalist working with an editor on both ends of it, whether you're the reporter or the editor on the other end of it, that not every word, not every paragraph um, is, you know, is sacred. And so, you know, i got very good... At cutting and editing and tweaking and looking at it more as words, you know, could be sacrificed for the sake of the story. Because ultimately, that's what you what you're trying to create is is something, whether it's, you know, a a news article, whether it's a a short story or novel, you want it to be you know, you're trying to maintain the integrity of the story, and I think that that's the thing that helps when you're dealing with an editor is that you, you know, I was overly protective of my words. Um, that being said, I also it was a very collaborative relationship, and it was much different than I expected. Um I totally expected especially having copy editing experience i expected you know uh, you know you visualize the red pen and all the uh, you know all the line edits and in- you know virtual form obviously digital form but um that's not it was more like conversations and discussions and so it was it was it was actually a very a very collaborative and um Book focused experience and, and I really actually enjoyed it but I think having the background helped me understand that you know if say there's a part that needs to be strengthened that doesn't automatically mean oh your book is bad which is how I might have read it you know before right. before that experience
4: um, I've had writers tell me that all writers want to see their books turned into movies is that true?
1: Well, I can't speak for every author, <laughs> but but I know that I would I would love to see this on the screen because I enjoy watching movies. I enjoy watching thrillers, and so um,
4: this seems like I, a, a a story that's that's really ripe for making into a movie.
1: I I I I think so. Anybody out there? You know, with connections. <laughs> <laughs> You know, let's put it out into the universe. Um, there hasn't been an option as of yet, but it, you know, it's definitely a, a visual story, which I think lends itself naturally to the movie. Um, and also, that's that's actually one of the many reasons that I chose my agent was because he he had a background in NYU and film, and and so. I figured, hey, he seems like he'd be a visual thinker, and my books tend to be very visual, and so it's funny that you should ask that because that's from the beginning. You know, it played like a movie in my head. So to to see somebody else's interpretation of that would be awesome.
4: Um, We're just about out of time, Heather, and and as I said before, I can't believe how fast the time has gone. It's been a real pleasure talking with you, and thanks so much for spending this time with me. But I always give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about what we've been talking about, about your your book and uh, your work, Past, Present, and Future. Do you have a website?
1: I do. It's heatherchavez.com really easy (laughs) um and all my social media links and more information about where to buy the book or appearances are are on that site too
4: well again thanks so much for spending this time with me i really appreciate it
1: thank you so much for having me
4: all right take care you too that was uh, heather chavez she's a uh, former reporter works as a as a uh It works in public affairs, and she is also a writer, an author. Being considered her debut novel, Uh, No Bad Deed, is now uh, available in paperback. It's a thriller about a desperate uh, mother um, trying to find the connections between her husband, her missing husband, and a deadly stalker who knows too much about her and her family. And we'll... uh, take just a a short intermission and we'll be back to wrap up today's edition of the Tom Sumner program.
2: A lucky man who made the grade, and though the news was rather sad, well I just had to laugh. He didn't notice that the lights had changed. A crowd of people stood aside. They'd seen his face before. Nobody was really sure if he was from the house of.
0: Tom
2: Sumner Program.com.
4: Well, that wraps it up for today's edition of the Tom Sumner Program. We were talking with uh, author Heather Chavez this uh, past hour. Had to do um, uh, talking about her book, No Bad Deed. And uh, before that, we were talking with. Um, who are we talking about? Uh, Barbara Freese. Interesting conversation about uh, industrial denial. We uh, substituted that for a uh, scheduled guest that, for some reason, we weren't able to connect with. So, uh, welcome to live radio. Um, but uh, we opened up the show today with uh, Shell Phelps. And that was a uh, fun conversation about her book, Big Bliss Blueprint, which is A uh, Hundred Little Thoughts to build positive life changes. And uh, for those of you keeping track of what day it is, it is in fact Friday, which means uh, I get to head down the hall now to the uh, living room for the entire weekend. But I'll be back Monday morning with a new edition of the uh, Tom Sumner program. Thanks to all my guests, and thanks to everybody who tuned in today. It was great to have you along, and we've got lots more fun stuff coming up next week and beyond. On the Tom Sumner program so that being said there's uh, Smoking George winners tells me it's uh, time to head down the hall to the living room so that being said good night everybody
0: the Tom Sumner program is a live variety show we want to acknowledge all of our guests who play such an important role in the show